Whoever was the first to say, "'Tis better to give than to receive," obviously never was up for an Oscar. Now they're wonderful. They all have their Oscars. But are they happy? Hello, and welcome back to the Snub Club, the podcast where we talk about the movies that have the most Oscar noms and no wins whatsoever. I'm your host, Danny Vincent, and Mamma Mia, here we go again. All right. Well, hello, gorgeous. I'm Sarah. Guys, I'm back in the habit. <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, now care. I feel like I should have done a musical sequel. <laughs> No, you don't understand. Anytime we cover, I'm, I'm spoiling you right now to the listeners. Anytime we're going to cover a sequel from now on, I'm going to go, Mamma Mia, here we go again. <laughs> oh, I should pick a horror franchise and start doing the subtitles. Like, hi, I'm Caleb, the dream child. That's trying really, to be topical to the go, movie. I should have said, funny girl, here we go again. Because then every time from now on, I can add whatever sequel we cover and just do it like that. But anyway. <laughs> we are also joined by special guest. Hi, I'm Tessa. Uh, here I am. Yeah, uh, I, I don't know. I didn't expect gags. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, my name's Tessa. Um, it's great to have you on. Yeah, it's great to be on. Um, I play Dungeons and Dragons with Caleb and Danny. And a while back, uh, Danny had me on Looking for the Ocean. And Caleb and I do a project every year, blog every day in September, over on the good old YouTubes. Yeah, it is a really weird way to meet a person, but <laughs> indeed, it has it has not led to disaster yet. <laughs> and you are also a big theater person too. Yes, I am. Yes, we are originally had Tessa booked for Star, but. Circumstances beyond our control had that fall through. So we are Star made me ill. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> I, I got halfway through the movie and then had a horrible headache and woke up and then was stuck in bed for the next two days. Star committed a hate crime. <laughs> All right. So this week we are at the 40th Academy Awards. Very big year. I'm going to list a lot of big name movies. One of them I won't list is called Jaws. But other ones that I will list are nine nominations. It was a film called One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Next, where it won five. And I'm going to give you a little bit of trivia now before I list the ones that win, which is One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest is one of only three films to make a clean sweep, as they call it, in the major five categories, which is one best picture and one best actor for um, Jack Nicholson, best actress for Louise Fletcher, best director for Miles Foreman, and best Screenplay, in this case, adapted. The other two movies to do is It Happened One Night, and you guys remember the last one? It's, I think, the most famous of them in our generation. It's seasonally related. It's a horror movie. Come on. That, that's oh, the giveaway. Oh, Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> yeah, yeah, Not yeah. technically a horror movie, but whatever. Yeah, people just list it as like the horror movie that one goes picture. And it is a probably movie. the closest. It's, it's the a closest. Horror movie. Anyway, so those are the five that One Flew of the Cuckoo's next one. And with seven nominations was Barry Lyndon. It won four. Oh, I mistyped something. So I, I, okay, it won four. It won Best Adapted Score. I wrote screenplay, but I mean score. It won Best Adapted Score, Best Costume Design, Best 
art direction and best cinematography, which all very fair wins if you've seen Barry Lyndon. Uh, with six nominations was Dog Day Afternoon. It only won one original screenplay. Good win. I don't know if anyone... Dog Day Afternoon is a great movie. Although Sarah might say it shouldn't be eligible for original screenplay because it's based off a true story. No, I'm saying... That's not... No, my point is... I don't... I don't an original screenplay should not... If it's a real event, it should be adapted. That's all I'm saying. But I'm just saying that's what Dog Day Afternoon is. That's all. Well, then they should have done, They should have adapted it from something. Um, with five nominations... Oh, no, with six nominations. I don't know why I wrote five. was another film called... Uh, hold on. You know what? I want to make sure I got that right. I think it is six. Yeah. No! With five nominations. Sorry. With five nominations is The Hiddenberg. It wins two. Not in competitive categories. It wins two special achievement Oscars for best visual effects and best sound effects. Which means, I want to point out that if we remove these special achievement awards to make it have no wins, it would take it down to three nominations, no wins, or go it wouldn't qualify anyway. Um, so, um, then with five nominations, as another film that's a masterpiece, in my opinion, Robert Altman's Nashville, it wins one. Does anyone have any idea what this is? If not, I'll just say it, but it is. I mean, I, I know it because I had to make a list. Okay. It is an Altman movie, so I'm guessing sound. No, it is best original song for I'm Easy, Easy Like Sunday Morning. Classic. <laughs> That's classic from song. Nashville? Yes, That's it is from... written originally for Nashville. Yes. <laughs> the movie The Cat in the Hat gets his balls shot to? It, it blew my mind when I first saw it because I, that movie has a lot of like, you know, like covers. So I just assumed it was a cover. And then I like looked it up online. Like, no, this was written for the movie. And I was like, huh, okay, cool. Uh, yeah, actually, do you know who? Well, I will just say who wrote that song. That song is actually written by uh, Keith Carradine, who plays the role of the guy who sings it in the movie. So anyway, uh, yeah. Oh, and I'm sure Sarah will mention who wrote it. I don't know why I said that. Anyway, but then with five nominations and no wins is Herbert Hosses. I don't have it open right now. Yes, Herbert Ross's Funny Lady. So tell me what Funny Lady was nominated for. Um, yeah, it was nominated for Best Cinematography for James Wong Howe. Uh, he lost to John Alcott for Barry Lyndon. Uh, he was nominated seven more times and won two. Best Costume Design for Ray Avian and Bob Mackey. They lost to Melina Cananero. And Ula Britt Soderlund for Barry Lyndon. Agin was nominated two more times, and Mackie was nominated two more times. All right, this one, it's best original score, but I'm gonna, or it's best adapted score, but I'm gonna read what the category is called Best Scoring Original Song Score and Adaptation or Scoring Adaptation. <laughs> for Peter Matz, uh, he lost to Leonard Rosenman for Barry Lyndon. Best original song for John Kander and Fred Ebb. They lost to Keith Carradine for Nashville. Uh, they were also both nominated for Chicago in 2002. And best sound for Richard Portman, Don McDougall, Hurley Thurwell, and Jack Solomon. They lost to Robert L. Hoyt, uh, Roger Heeman, Earl Madry, and John Carter for Jaws. John Carter? Yeah, of Mars. Um, <laughs> Portman was nominated nine more times and won one for The Deer Hunter in 1979. McDougal was nominated three more times and won for Star Wars in 1978. Earl Well was 
also nominated for the Buddy Holiday story in 1979, and Solomon was nominated four more times and won one for Hello Dolly in 1970. This is a big deal, which you might remember from our last episode, is that 47 Academy Awards was the last one ever to be broadcast by NBC. Ergo, this is the first one ever to be broadcast by ABC. And, you know, ABC has continued to air the Oscars since 1976. So, um, 20, this is actually a fun stat to me. 20-year-old French actress Isabel Ajani received her first nomination for Best Actress, which makes her the youngest nominee up to this point in um, Best Lead Actress. And that's interesting to me. I feel like we've had a lot of child actors. So the record is not surpassed until, I'm going to butcher her name, Keisha, Keisha, I think it's Keisha. Keisha Keisha Castle Hughes in 2004. And then, of course, Professional Wallace also broke that record. But I feel like we now get like a decent amount of young nominees. Not, not, I mean, sometimes they're forced into supporting. But I just think that's interesting that because, you know, we talked about an American Graffiti episode that there were two child actors nominated supporting actress that year. So this being like it not well, it's not being a child actor nominated lead actress until 2004 is kind of crazy to me. Um, speaking of age, George Burns becomes the oldest ever acting winner, along with the last person to in the 19th century to ever receive an acting award. He won supporting actor for the Sunshine Boys. Um, Burns, you know, uh, the record stood until Jessica Tandy wins for Driving Miss Daisy, um, and then later is succeeded by the oldest supporting actor by, and anyone here remember, it's semi-recent, and it's a Christopher Plummer. Yes. Um, Jaws wins all of its nominations just for Best Picture, which feels like it would be a big deal if Jaws got more than four nominations, uh, but it's the last one to do so until Traffic. Armacord, this is actually a big deal because of technicalities I freaked out a few weeks ago about the immigrants. Armacord is the last film to be nominated for Academy Awards in separate years because it won foreign language the previous year and it was nominated this year for Best Director and something else, I think, but I didn't look that up. Um, NBC aired the NCAA, double, uh, the NCAA Championship Basketball game at the exact same time as the ceremony. During the pre- presentation of Best Film Editing, Elliot Gold announced the winner as Indiana 86-68 as the Hoosiers had won the title by that point in the night. Yeah. Also, just... Mentioned a previous person on the podcast very quickly, and then we can move on. Is Mervyn Leroy won the Irving G. Falberg uh, Award? And yeah, there you go. Um, yeah, so let's talk about funny lady now. Tessa, yes, you can either give your take first or last, or somewhere in the middle. I guess you, I'm just saying, pick your <laughs> pick your pick pick your spot in the lineup of just giving the general take. Uh, I I don't want to go first. Okay. I don't want to go first either. Okay, I'll go first. <laughs> um, I've never seen Funny Girl, so just context <laughs> there. I don't like, historically, I have not enjoyed movies about making Broadway plays. Um, like the bandwagon that we did an episode on a while back, the producers, just not a fan of these movies. Which is surprising because the only part of this movie I really enjoyed was the first act when they were making the play. Now, that was a very tacit enjoyment. I was also focusing on other things while that part of the movie played. But it was when I sat down and like started focusing on the second and third act that I stopped enjoying the movie. I also have not seen Funny Girl. I read the Wikipedia page. 
Hey, that's um, more than I did. Hey, I, I, I actually, just, one of those should take one for the team and add the plot summary for this one on the Wikipedia page. I know. I was actually thinking about doing that, but then I was like, yeah, that's too much work. Um, yeah, my only exposure to Funny Girl is various episodes of Glee. And then, of course, the big drama, My Roman Empire, uh, Beanie Feldstein's downfall. Um, this movie really didn't do anything for me. I just, I'm not a fan of Barbara. She's kind of a pick me. She plays Fanny as a pick me. I think the music is corny. I just, I don't know. I wasn't a fan. <laughs> well, as someone who has seen Funny Girl, yeah, no, it's, it's very mediocre. Like, okay, my take is that every individual scene is fine, but there's apps but there is no benefit to putting them in any sort of order and watching them together. Like every single scene would be better in a different drama or like as a Muppet show skit. And the best part of the movie is Roddy McDowell being like literally a pansy. They describe him as such in the background. And the worst part is having to pretend that Billy Rose, played by James Kahn, isn't the most awful fucking man in a musical that I've seen in a long time. Because it's a low bar to be a decent man in a movie musical. But still, he trips. Okay. So, in 2008, a film was released on the same day as The Dark Knight called Mamma Mia. It is a accurate adaptation of the stage show, but entirely mediocre film due to a lack of energy in the direction and a poor tabulating of dance numbers. Meanwhile, the sequel, Mamma Mia, here we go again, released in 2018, gives it to a director that actually knows how to shoot the dance numbers and has more of a focus on who cares about the plot, let's just do dumb stuff. Uh, I posit that Funny Lady is a massive improvement on the original film uh, because it forgets it doesn't it realizes all this drama is dumb and it allows it gives it to a director who actually knows how to shoot a musical. Sorry, William Wyler, you can't do it. Um, and gives us these big flashy dance numbers where Barbara gets to show off. And this is like this is like I was like, I was going, I, I texted people, like, I think I have like a crazy hot take on this movie. I greatly enjoyed this. I thought it was so fun. The moment uh, there were points where I thought it was losing for me, and then it'd be something like Barbara runs out the a hallway that we stay on her for five seconds for like a solid minute, and then she drives a car to take off an airplane, and she's singing the entire time. I was like, "This is great! I love that this." Was so, so cheesy, bro! That, like that was so bad. The first, because I watched Funny Girl a couple months ago as stealth research for this this episode, because I knew we were coming up on it soon, and I was sorely disappointed. I thought. Some of the music was good, but I just thought all the dancing was so lackluster. And this movie knows how to give you the production design that looks cool. It knows how to actually shoot the choreography. Is the story garbage? Probably. The first one has a garbage story, too. So I'd rather have a garbage story shot well and excitingly and have fun bits where... Yes, James Caan is bad in this movie, but you know what? It is also funny to have James Caan try to sing when Barbara's being Barbara right next to him. I massively enjoyed this movie, and maybe it lost my interest a couple times, but I thought this, besides the bandwagon, 
It's probably the best music we watch on this podcast. This is my radical hot take that I come in here with. This is better than Love Parade? <laughs> yes. Because Love Parade doesn't have a scene where, like, this was one thing I took a video of. I, I took a couple of videos of doing one. I obviously took a video of her, like, taking off in an airplane <laughs> singing. Why wouldn't I? I also took a video of there's a moment where we just cut back to the dance and it's like a solid 30 seconds of just shadows, like being in a weird mirror, jumping up and down. I'm like, this is great. Why wasn't this in the first movie? This weird dream ballet stuff. That was a great Well, movie. I will say about the plane, I did see a little bit of trivia that Barbara Streisand is terrified of flying. And at one point they couldn't land. So she was like screaming in that plane for like 30 minutes. So what's this movie about? It's... What is this Funny movie about? Lady. That's a good fucking question. I don't think there's an actual plot. Imagine if a lady was funny. Well, let me tell you, the plot is, this article needs plot summary. Please have your own words. Okay. Uh, let's piece this together. It's the Great Depression, so she can't get funding for her shows. Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. So, wait. I think what we also need to do very quick, because I assume, Caleb, I assume you at least read, a not a summary, but a premise of the previous movie, right? Nope. I have no <laughs> idea what funny girls Well, can about. I give, like, a very quick, like, this is what the last movie was? Sure. When we last saw Fanny Bryce... We, it was an actual like origin story for her, like in the buildup with um, meeting uh, her boy toy Nick, uh, and it's more of like a very clear like this guy's toxic, but she wants to be with him. Blah blah blah. Go back and forth, and at the end she like I think she leaves him. I don't know. It's been. Months. I think he leaves her. There, is the impression that I got. It, they're in the process of leaving each other because she ends with my man, the song my man. And then, oh yeah, yeah. But this movie picks up with their divorce. Yeah, and it's actually kind of cool because it picks up with it, and it's just over a letter. So you go, hmm. If they didn't tell me in the credits Omar Sharif was in this movie, I would assume he's not. <laughs> because I honestly been- thought it was just going to be like the picture was going to be. Him. <laughs> yeah. He got super high billing just because of his picture. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Sorry, Kale. Now you can sum up what Funny Lady is about. No, no. Okay, so Funny Girl's just like, like Star is Funny the Third. Girl. It would have been like the third boring musical biopic we had to watch for this. But show, if you remember on Star, I just kept talking about how even I, I, even though I wasn't a huge fan of Funny Girl, it's basically just a much better executed version of Star. Um, okay. Because Barbara Streisand is actually funny. But anyway, yeah, go on. Okay, so it, uh, this is not me doing the doing the synopsis this is me asking if my synopsis is correct so please jump in and do this better than me it's the depression and so even though she's like a big name she can't get funding for the show until she comes across james Kahn, who is an accountant and a nightclub owner and a songwriter is he all these things at once or are these separate just, career paths? I think he's just a songwriter. Yeah, I think they said he, he was like visiting the office, the so he wanted though. to do a polar trip. The accountant yeah. thing he says he was just doing that to like to meet her. But he does seem to also own the nightclub and be a songwriter and a producer. Although not a good producer. Because he taught he 
he gaslights her into doing a show and it all goes wrong because he doesn't know what he's doing. And there's a Buffalo there, which led to the best shot in the movie, which is just the Buffalo on like <laughs> the Jersey shore staring out <laughs> over wherever that cow on the beach. Can we talk about also just very randomly Ben Vereen's cameo in this? <laughs> Which best part of the movie the was the clap number. and hands number. If you yeah. ask me, clap and hands is the best part of the movie. It was the only part where I had a smile for more than half a second. I don't know if you know who Ben Vereen is. Um, the name is familiar. He I is have a, his IMDb page pulled up. Nope, that's Bob Mackie's IMDb. Famous page. for his stage role on Pippin, where he was the featured. He was the player. Oh, the, uh, yeah, that's how I know player. him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. Uh, sorry, I just saw his sexual misconduct allegations. <laughs> it's like, oh, never mind. I don't want to praise this guy too much. Never mind. Let's uh, not dive too deep into that one. Yeah. Um. But no, but he was in Pippin, though. And so it's like they got like a real... And Barbara, you know, comes from the stage, too. So it's like they got a big yeah. stage performer. Yeah, so. and he was in Sweet Charity and a bunch of Fosse stuff. What are you playing Jesus Christ, Superstar? I don't Judas. know. I've never been allowed to watch that. Was Judas? Oh, he was Judas? Okay. Well, to be clear, also, I'm talking about on stage. He wasn't in the movie. Oh, so okay. Yeah. I was about to say, that the timeline de- doesn't seem to add up. I wasn't going to question it. You're right, much. he wasn't Judas. He also was in the Wicked as his final role. So. Oh. Well, final. He's, he's, he's alive. He's still alive. So. <laughs> he's just been uh, cancelled. So. Well, so. he and Kevin Spacey can work something up hey kevin spacey is a- he's vindicated <laughs> no, not vindic- he's, he's, he's sick he's, as far as i hear he's still in the hospital <laughs> um, so i shouldn't be like after the show doesn't do well they go on a little road trip and you see like little bits and pieces of the show which i assume are part of the person's real life acts because this is based off of a real person. Um, one of them is also a minstrel show, which is like, yeah, not I'm not going to put that stuff. That's just bad. Well, I have noticed, I did notice a trend. Every movie that we watched about putting on a musical, there has been something racist in it. <laughs> it's almost like a, a big part of the American <laughs> entertainment industry was a very racist, uh, form of storytelling. <laughs> What a but then the show goes well and they get married for some reason because <laughs> he says let's get married and then like 20 minutes later he like makes a joke like we should get married when they already are but he, it takes so long for him to say but we already are I was like huh did like they say they're gonna get married and I missed they did it and I missed it <laughs> the, <laughs> the first act is them putting the show together and then the second and third act are their relationship like constantly falling apart and then reforming and falling apart until they decide we won't get together, but we will put on another show. That, is that the basic gist of the second and third act? Sure, but Does the she plot put on matter. another show? Dance. I thought she I did think, it. I thought they were agreeing to it at the end, boss. I don't know. No, at the end we did jump she, ahead like she didn't forty say years, no. right? <laughs> to where James Con actually looks like James Con because they dyed his hair. Uh, I posit that he doesn't look like James Con. He looks like. Tim Burton's James Scott. Just like she looks like <laughs> Tim Burton's Barbara Streisand. She uh, no one can like add a makeup well. nomination for this, please. 
I think she says no. She's like, I wanted you to ask me and I was going to say no. That's like what she says. And then she imagines a clip show and that's the end of the movie. Now, now the clip show that also opens the movie too. So it's like, we made <laughs> um, Caleb, I want to do a classic faux pas of podcasting and ask you, did you listen to that episode I told you to listen of You Must Remember This? Where this movie weirdly made a cameo in it? Or no? No, I didn't. I didn't want to taint okay. my thoughts. Well, well, because, well, it wasn't about Funny Girl. It just made a cameo in it. Um, yeah, so yeah, it was an episode of Boxing Kalena. It's, it's queued up, but I wanted to. I wanted to mention this because I mentioned this in that episode, but also related to something we talked about is that originally they wanted Robert Blake play James Kahn's role and Robert Blake was like it says uh was the first to read but in the podcast she has like a source where it's like he outright was like I did not want that role that role was garbage <laughs> so well, when I so when I read about it on IMDb so he read through the entire script with Barbara and then she said so do you want to do it and he said I just did it and left <laughs> <laughs> I like how Wiki has like a much kind gives gives Barbara the agency. It says when it comes down to the audience, audience wants me to kiss Robert Blake. No, James Con. Yes, okay, Barbara, rewrite us. True, that's fine. (laughs) (laughs) So, Barbara Streisand, theater people in the room, which is everyone but me, help me out. (laughs) She is Sarah, theater person. No offense, Sarah. Yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> I was about to say she majored in theater, didn't you? No, I didn't. No, she didn't. Oh. <laughs> no, like, what? I no. You did, I thought you did a double major in theater and film for some reason. This is something I've thought for like 10 years. We have not known each other for 10 years. <laughs> no. However long we've known each other. Anyway, what is... Okay, sell me on Barbara Streisand. Because I think this is the only thing I've ever seen her in. Well, you're asking the wrong person, so... <laughs> All right, so Barbara. Well, actually, Tessa, how about you go into Barbara first? Unless you okay. really want me to like, I mean, filibuster. I can filibuster. You mean I mean, to. basically, the appeal. She, she is one of the divas, but she is one of the theater divas with more of the sense of humor. Like, if you put them all on, like all of the musical theater divas on a spectrum, I'd put like her. And Bernadette Peters in a similar category of like very, very talented, can be like demanding, has a sense of humor, whereas some of the others are pure demanding. What or... about uh, Patty? Is yeah. Patty up there too. Patty, Patty Lapone, to be clear. Yeah, Patty Lapone is m- more, more self serious than them, but it's like she's like the very talented singer great timing who just is willing to play around and fuck around a little bit more and so she is beloved because of that she's not my favorite diva to be perfectly honest i like her pop stuff more her 70s pop music is more of what i like her for but it's undeniable that she has her place in the diva hall of fame Again, she's not my favorite. But honestly, the Broadway diva culture is such a weird thing to try and explain 
Oh, before I say anything, that's what I was going to say. Um, this will not be the only time we talk about her. We're going to eventually come back to her in a very different way. That's going to I'm be not looking forward to that one at all. I'm no, I, yeah, but I'm not going to say what, but Barbara is probably one of the more preemptive female directors of like the 90s and 80s. So we will eventually return to Barbara, but on her directing career. Um, I'm not going to say what, though, but yeah. My big impression of Barbara is first off, in Funny Girl, I think she makes the movie. I think that's a common opinion of that show is that like the reason it was never revived until Beanie was because everyone was like, they just want to see Barbara. So the idea was we're going to get Beanie Feldstein. She's going to give you a completely different take. And of course, all that fell apart in a horrible, awful way. But my other opinion on Barbara comes from a different movie of hers that's considered one of the biggest bombs in history. And it's also got a big role in one of Pixar's greatest films, Wally. That <laughs> I is love the Hello, Hello Dolly. Dolly. Uh, I love Hello Dolly on stage. I do not like the Hello Dolly movie. I agree with all the opinions at the time that Barbara was way too young to play a role that today would be played by like Meryl Streep, right? And that's oh. a 20 year old Barbara playing that role in that movie. Oh, yeah, she's way too young. I don't care. I love that movie. <laughs> I don't, <laughs> but I will say I do like one. There was one. Okay, I've, I don't know if I said this on if I said this on my Wally episode. Who cares? I can bring it up now. There is one moment of that movie. I saw it at the music box in seventy millimeter, um, which was cool. Even though because uh, I was like, I should see this because it's uh, you know I had a pass and it's like also cool. I can see Hollow Dolly all the way through, and I've seen I had seen the stage show before, um, but whole movie I'm like this does not work. This does not work at all. But then Louis Armstrong shows up. <laughs> To sing with Barbara Streisand, and for a minute, it is pure magic. Just because like, you completely read the movie, you're just watching Louis Armstrong perform on 70 Miller Technicolor with Barbara Streisand, who's you know one of the really you might not like her like as a person or like her sense of humor, but I do think it's undeniable that she's got a great singing voice, right? So it's like her and Louis Armstrong duetting. It's like this is magic, like absolutely incredible scene. That's the one where he's on the bus, right? And he's like, end of song, beginning of story. No, uh, that he's in the no. big old fancy restaurant and he's singing Hello okay. Dolly. Yeah, he goes, uh, Hello Dolly. Oh, hello, Dolly. But that's like a long song and like people sing it up to that point. But then it's like, here's Louis Armstrong. It's like, oh my gosh, Louis Armstrong is here. <laughs> but that that scene is magical. But I don't know. I think Barbara uh, brings the camp that's needed for this movie. Again, I, I just keep thinking about her taking off into a plane and flying off in the sunset. I think about her um, singing and dancing on like a cigarette while eyeballs like splurge out of control. Uh, I don't know. Like, I think she's I like Barbara. I like James Caan. And I like Omar Sharif. Three great actors. Oh, yeah. None of my problems, for the <laughs> record, have anything to do with James Caan, except for the fact that it's weird how he's 35 playing this role. And they insist on calling him kid every other sentence. But like I gave the character a lot of shit, but none of that has anything to do with James Khan, except for anyone with that many forehead wrinkles should not be referred to so patronizingly. Also, when he comes back in the end and he has the gray hair, how much time had passed? Well, let me tell you. <laughs> Wikipedia says this article makes a plot summary. <laughs> Please add I think it's, it's like 10 years, I think. Because okay. they don't do anything to age up 
Barbara Streisand. No, they got like her hair and like the cat. Yeah. Her hair is totally different. It's Looks like she's got a facelift. Her hair is so wild. Yeah, based off of that. She looks like a who. In the last based off of the like hair and the caftan, <laughs> my guess would be late 40s, early 50s, but they don't do any makeup on her, so it's impossible to tell how much time is supposed to have passed. And the interior decorating gives us nothing, which is a shame because I actually really love the set design. Um, this is just like an aesthetic that I vibe with, and they really no, yeah, I think the, with a lot of the interior decorating. The sets are gorgeous. I agree. Sets, costumes, a lot of great technical elements here. And the only thing I... Okay, let me rephrase. There is one technical element that does not fully work, but I still, you know... Mediocre candor and ebb is still, like, listenable to. <laughs> it's just not memorable. Um, I do like that, you know, they nominated uh, the original song. Oh, what is it called? Um, Don't Rain on My Parade a second time. Uh, <laughs> How lucky can you get? <laughs> no, no, I want to call from now on. Do not rain on my parade again. So. <laughs> Honestly, I'm surprised how few callbacks to the music of the original there were in this. There were only like two in the whole thing. And given the score of the original, I thought there would be, you know, maybe a reprise of something longer than the Nikki Armstein motif. I, I point back to Mommy, here we go again. Where, you know, it's a sequel to Mamma Mia, where they're like, we're going to use all the ABBA songs we didn't use. And it's like, oh no, they have like Waterloo left and Fernando. And they're like, don't worry, we're still going to put a Mamma Mia and Dancing Queen again. <laughs> and I feel like this should have had like a, re- like, it is just don't rain on my parade in the middle. It should just be don't rain on my parade again. <laughs> like, I would be fine. <laughs> I don't think anyone would have complained to hear Barbara do it again. Right? It's a great song. I would. I would complain. Yeah, you'd be like, I did not see the original movie, and I feel like this is spoiling it for me. I mean, I appreciate their restraint, but I I was surprised how few of them there were, because it really was only, like, the one motif. And then when she and Nikki kiss, they do, like, the orchestra is doing people. Can we, um, can I read Pauline Kael's take on Streisand in this movie, please? Oh, please. Barbara Streisand is in beautiful voice, and her singing is terrific. Too terrific. It's no longer singing. It's something else. That strident over-dramatization that turns a song into a big number. The audience's attention is directed away from the music and onto the star's feet and charging with false energy. Streisand is out to knock you cold and you get cold all right. Reminds me of um, my co-host on my other podcast, Pinyon Sicario, which is the cinematography is too beautiful. It's terrible. Well, okay. To play devil's advocate, I really don't have any opinion on Barbara. I unfortunately she does remind me of Leah Michelle. And then when I hear her voice, it just makes me think of it just makes me want to listen to Bernadette Peters. Like I would rather be watching Bernadette Peters. I get it kind of. Like, you know, Fanny Rice is kind of this rough around the well, in the first one, I guess. I don't know. She's like rough around the edges, and this one she's a little bit more refined, and I get if she's too good, if it seems too polished, then it's like, okay, well, Babs, you're not even trying. But I also get that. The, I don't know, but then I think the counter-argument is this is years later, so she's a more... Ref- she's not, might not be 
a refined character, but she's probably, you know, she's a professional actress. Like, I'm saying Fanny Bryce is, right? So, I don't know. I'm, I'm a fan of Fanny. Yeah, that feels like a critique looking to critique something. Like, there's so much going on here, and that just feels like, I feel like there's only a couple times in the film where I'm like, oh my god, the voice. And all of them are in big moments. So it's like, no, that that's when the voice, that's when I should be noticing her voice. Yeah, and I also think there's a big problem here. And I, I kind of, I did allude to this until I made a joke. The songs really aren't that great. <laughs> the songs are pretty rough. <laughs> They're so bland. The only one I liked, and it was more of the for the visual, it happens after the preview show where it's like everything goes terribly and the Buffalo escapes. Um, she like walks out, I guess it's backstage or somewhere, but it's just like this kind of big open industrial thing. And she starts belting. And I, that was, that was good. And I think that was cause I'm like, I don't really like, I know she can sing because she's a famous like Broadway person. So of course she can sing, but I think that was actually a pretty good demonstration of her talents in a way that like, none of the other numbers were. Yeah. I also couldn't tell you what that song's name was, though. Isn't that the the nominated song? Yeah, that was How Lucky I Can Get. They did it, like, four different times in the movie. They had, like, two and a half good songs that they kept using over and over, and then 30 other ones. I feel like, I don't know, I'm... I feel like the mo- most of the musicals that we've watched have been just like, because they've been like musical reviews, they've just been like on a stage. And this one, like they tried to make the songs be part of the story. And I felt like it was so clunky at times, like when they're at the rehearsal. Well, I mean, first of all, when she's on a plane, that's ridiculous. Um, <laughs> but like when it's they're crazy. like, it's at- fantastic. I loved it. When they're like at the rehearsal and they're like thinking about each other, I just, I felt really, I just, I felt my whole body cringe. I just thought it was so weird. I just, I don't know. I, I, I think that as a movie musical, I don't think that the songs feel cinematic to me. Yeah. I was going to ask about the, how people felt about the voiceover songs. Cause that's. I always have such mixed feelings about it whenever it comes up in movie musicals, and this one used it pretty liberally. I forgot. Does the original do that? Because that was that was really my whole opinion here. Was I was I, I hate I know Caleb hates comparative criticism, but also this is literally a sequel, so that's how things work with a sequel. And I just thought the songs were better integrated here. I feel like the other one was afraid to be musical unless it, you know, was her on stage, with the exception of Rain on My Parade, which is, you know, like, you know, the big number that is a big number. But this was like, we have a couple big numbers here, and then a lot of it is just voiceover stuff that's very I don't know if elevated sort of word, but it it exists in a realm of style where it's like it's clearly trying to be a dream type of thing. Dreamy. It's aiming for a dreamy feel. That's what I'm learning now. Here I'm defending the movie, but also like this movie's great because it sucked. <laughs> I, <laughs> I felt like it was it was largely kind of just confused, like what it wanted to be. And so when it 
when it cut to, I'm fine with there being diegetic and non-diegetic music numbers, but I think when you take that extra step into kind of an unreality of the voiceover, it distracts from what every the rest of the movie is going to be. Theoretically, if you had a movie that was all non-diegetic and you had some voiceover songs in there, I'd be fine with that. But then also that's it's kind of taking away from the impressiveness of the performance. Like you want to see the illusion of these people singing it live. No, I sometimes I feel like it works in movies and this one, every time it was just pulling me out of it. And I don't have a good answer for why sometimes it does work and sometimes it doesn't. I just know that I was really feeling it in this movie a lot. And I don't know if it's because of frequency. I don't remember any instances in the first one, but also I haven't seen it in a long time. I decided to go method because I figured the Academy probably hadn't seen the original in like six or seven years. So why should I? But yeah, it's just always a weird choice. And sometimes it works and sometimes it feel like this time it was just used very liberally it kept pulling me out i think i don't have much of a take on this sarah do you because I, I have a subject change i already said my take i think we talked about um we talked about james Conn a little bit now obviously we talked about barbara but what do we think about omar sharif once he actually showed up i actually like, like i don't He's one of those actors who just has a presence where it's like, oh, Omar Sharif is here, you know? It's like, just fun to see him be there. You know what I mean? I think that's legit. Like, he's got a charisma to him. Even if he is playing, like, an ass. He's certainly attractive. <laughs> I ain't gonna um, argue. <laughs> I, ain't gonna... <laughs> I, think, I think he's probably... If there is a scene in here where I'll say it's the best scene, it probably is... It's like the second time he meets up with Barbara Streisand and they almost like have a have an affair and then she kind of pulls out it's the scene where she keeps talking about his toothbrushes um I think both of them are doing a really good job in that scene and it does highlight it's like oh these are two pretty talented actors I bet they have a fair amount of chemistry in the original in a way that Barbara never has with James Caan but I don't uh, part okay. I will admit this about James Khan is I'm gonna compliment him, but I'm gonna immediately take it back. I found him very compelling in this, but I think it is primarily because I'm used to old man James Khan. Um, so the fact that he was like because even like in like what the Godfather, he feels kind of old, he feels way older than he does here. So him being like the love interest is just such an interesting like way to look at him. And I just thought that was interesting to me, intriguing to me, you know? So I did like James Conn in that regard, but I also think, and you know what? I also think that might have been for audience too, because this came out after The Godfathers. So, but I would agree that Omar Sharif is a lot more charismatic and has all that. But also, Omar Sharif, I don't think ever even tries to sing in the original, whereas James Conn gets his Ryan Gosling on. I don't know why. I, although now it's cool to say Ryan Gosling's a good singer just because he had a good auto tune song in Barbie. I remember City of Stars. I remember everyone hating him. City of Stars is pretty Speaking nice. of unlikable men in musicals. I remember City of Stars every time I go to AMC and I see Nicole Kidman watching La La Land. Can I... Alright, I want to drop a conspiracy theory about that very quickly because I, I this has been popping in my head a lot 
since that ever came out, but I don't think I've ever addressed it, even on my other podcast where that AMC thing always comes up. So, sorry that <laughs> you mentioned it. It just popped in my head. I'm like, I've never talked about this. So, you know, they, they have all those clips and all half the movies are crap. Like, Creed looks like it's being shown of a dim projector. Like, it's clearly not color graded, right? <laughs> but my thing is, is like, you know, you see the projector and you see like vague images flicker. Doesn't it look like The Force Awakens to you? I always think it's like The Force Awakens is being projected out of that projector. Because it looks to me like Kylo's lightsaber against the snow in The Force Awakens. But it's so blurry and out of focus. And obviously The Force Awakens isn't a part of it. That's my conspiracy theory that I think they use Force Awakens trailer footage for that. I'd be um, curious. I'd, I'll watch for it next time. I've never paid that much attention to the Nicole. Yeah, I don't think but. anyone else goes to the movies enough to have noticed this, Dan. Uh, I feel incredibly subtweeted right now, and I'm going to go cry later. Um, <laughs> saying you watch more movies than the average person? <laughs> saying I, I'm the only person who goes to the movies. Doesn't work. I didn't say, you didn't say the average person. I think you, watch, you said you, I think you watch more movies, Danny. I don't know what you said. I, I shouldn't put words in your mouth. I, I've got every. I got stuff on my mind. <laughs> what? Every theater has one, Danny. Yeah. Hey, I'm more. I don't. Never mind. I'm not gonna talk. I'm gonna say something stupid. Uh, <laughs> um. But yeah, I, I like Omar Sharif. Yeah, better Omar than Arabia. Yeah, Omar Sharif doesn't get to do much in this, but. Uh, yeah, his charisma is definitely felt, and then the holdover from the first movie very much was in effect still for me. I had this nitpick about Star as well, but I'm going to bring it up here because Caleb brought up the confrontation scene. The whole thing about you didn't ask anything about your daughter, and it's like, Girl, your daughter has been in two scenes. Why are we acting like you're a <laughs> wonderful mother who cares so much about Fran? Like, if you were going to make this argument, she should have been in more than two scenes and had had, like, you know, maybe five lines in the whole fucking movie. Uh, yeah, this is pretty <laughs> indefensible. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like, this is a movie I really, I, I really enjoy, but also I can really recognize as, like, there's both not much to it, and also, like, if people want to say it's terrible, I'm like, yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah, like, I can't really defend anything that's going on here. But does anyone else have anything I, you want to mention? I enjoyed it more than the bandwagon, but... Really? Bandwagon, I, don't, I didn't like the bandwagon. But... You think... Would you say that Ben Vereen's scene in here is better than the, um... I can't remember the name of the number in the bandwagon, but the, the number like on the boardwalk where the there's the tap arcade that, scene. Yeah, no. the penny arcade scene. Yeah, okay, well, that's why I'm asking. Yeah, yeah. No, the penny arcade scene. The penny arcade scene is legit one of the best dance numbers I've seen in a long time in a movie. Um, I don't want to say best dance numbers ever because that's just not true, but it is. <laughs> yeah, really good. I think there are people though who argue it. I think it, I do see it like often mentioned as like you know I'm, I'm you're correct that you might have this. has better ones. But yeah, like the one with uh, Tom and Jerry. <laughs> but uh, there's those, those two are perfect. <laughs> they kept them perfectly. <laughs> but that's like one scene in the bandwagon. The only, the only thing that the bandwagon besides that has over this is Jokes. that the triplet scene 
while terrifying, <laughs> is memorable. Okay, but like this, I, I mentioned that there's a scene in this that I think is so f- memorable to me because it's just a long, like, two minute shot of Barbara Streisand singing on like a cigarette, and then like a minute into it, the eyes start messing up, but like it's very subtle until it isn't, and it's like. This is so weird because if people are just listening to her saying, I legitimately think audience in the theater is not going to notice what's going on. Like, why are we here so much? Not as crazy as triplets, though. Sure. I will admit yeah. that triplets is crazy. <laughs> Tessa, have you seen the triplets scene from Bandwagon? I've never seen Bandwagon. I've only seen the Penny Arcade scene. Well, triplets is disturbing. We're friends, so I won't say watch the triplet scene, but. <laughs> but we will say watch Cats. Oh, I've already done that. Great film. Uh, I should be. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Anything else? I'm, I'm uh, sorry. They wasted Tessa, a perfectly I, good Roddy McDowell. Who is she? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who is she? No, <laughs> I know what you're saying. <laughs> uh, not a she. Um, does he sing? He doesn't do like, anything yeah. in this movie. They just introduced him. And he just like vaguely gives catty looks in the backgrounds occasionally. That's Roddy fucking. That's Roddy McDowell. Put some respect. Oh, he's not in the original. No, he's I not. I just assumed he was. No, they do a very awkward exposition. They do a very awkward exposition dump to explain who he is and how he's totally been here this whole time, and then just <laughs> have him in the background sometimes. And they don't let him do anything, even though he's, like, a delightful comedic force. I don't know him. He's in... Other than his role in Pony Lady. Bedknobs and Broomsticks. He's, yes, he's in Bedknobs and Broomsticks. He's in a bunch of... uh, He's in A Bug's Life. I don't think so. He's in an Adventure. I know that's around He's in A Bug's Life, according to Wiki. Um, um, I believe he's in That Darn Cat. Yes. Oh, that's a great movie. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great movie based off of like eight-year-old me who watched it. No, I'm never going to go back to verify that opinion. <laughs> I watched it last year. It was fun. I was confused, but it was fun. Based off of y'all's description of Barbara Streisand, I'm just curious. Who who is each of y'all's favorite Broadway diva? Or just expand it to like big Broadway personality, I guess. I mean Broadway diva currently. Uh probably Ben Platt. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh probably either Bernadette Peters or Audrey McDonald. Okay. I do like Patty Lupone. I think Patty Lupone is hilarious. Oh, um, yeah, Patty LaPone is very fun, but yeah, Bernadette yeah. or Audra. Sarah? Uh, yeah, probably Bernadette Peters. If I can say, like, who else? Bette Midler, maybe. No, not Bette Midler at all. Um, Betty Buckley? Who am I think? Patina Miller. Patina Miller is from the U. Oh, I guess she is a diva. I gotta see her live. Be jealous, everyone. Tessa, before we end this, do you have anything else you want to say about this movie? I feel like we're, we're, we're petered out. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Caleb and Sarah have a ton of notes we didn't get to. I doubt it. <laughs> Let um, me... Do you have anything else you want to say either about this movie or just like 
the art of musical films because we've talked about musical films a lot on this podcast and obviously you haven't <laughs> so <laughs> i mean the thing with musicals is like there is definitely that barrier for entry if you didn't grow up with the genre uh funny girls not a great one to start off with if you're not already in it funny lady absolutely if anybody's on the fence do not let them near this movie Uh, let me see oh um i'm just gonna shout out the uh billy rose both uh forcing himself on her for a kiss and then her apologizing for throwing powder on him and also breaking into her room while she was sleeping this is seriously one of the worst men in a movie musical. It's kind of incredible. Howard Keel made an entire career out of being a shitty man in a movie musical, and James Conn was one and done and made one of the worst ones I've ever seen. <laughs> That's fair. James Conn, icon of the screen. His last I'm glad I saw of, him in a third movie. Is this the first one you've seen him in, though? Third or no, you've movie. seen him in Elf. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen Elf, well, I, The Godfather, and this. You haven't seen Cloud of Chance of Meatballs? I assume there was, like, a joke about, like, how you didn't see him in it. I forgot that movie existed or any member <laughs> of the cast. He's really good in it. He plays Bill Hader's <laughs> dad. But Elf is, you know, Elf is a little more big deal. Sarah. What? <laughs> <laughs> what was um? All right, wait, wait. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell us, tell us what was nominated for first. Uh, yeah, it was nominated for best cinematography, uh, best costume design, best adapted score, uh, best original song, and best sound. So, Tessa, would you like to go first or last on these? We'll have you go first or last, no matter what. On both, your choice. Uh, I'll go last. Okay. Uh, so let me re look at them. I don't know why I lost them. I know Sarah just said them, but I still like looking at them. Of these, although I actually do like Don't Rain on My Parade again, I feel like it's pretty obviously got to be costume design. Costume design's pretty good, pretty stellar. Looks great. Barbara, those gowns. Yeah. Um, I'm going to give it. Cinematography. There was one shot where she was sitting at her vanity and the camera went like over the vanity and I thought it looked really cool. I'm going to give it best cinematography because that shot of the, the bison on the, <laughs> on the beach was really pretty. I, would I mean, I do also shot. like, I do also like the shot of like, I mentioned it before, the, her in the hallway just continually going down that hallway to get to a And then what does she do after she leaves the hallway? <laughs> What? What does she do? She goes on the plane. She goes on a plane, and <laughs> the camera falls. Actually, what what jarred me so much was that cut cut to the overhead shot of the plane. I lit. I didn't think it was a real plane. I thought I was like, huh, just cut to a toy. But then, like, it's clear, and like as the shot continues, it is an actual plane because Barbara is in it, like waiting down. <laughs> Listen, Sarah, I don't know what you're talking about when you're criticizing that scene. I work at an airport in Cleveland. Everybody comes in belting mediocre show tunes. <laughs> It's just a, a casualty of the job. <laughs> All right. So Tessa, what would you give it? 
Oh, costumes. Easily. I loved the visual look of the costumes and the sets. And God, they made her look gorgeous in this movie. All right. So now we add a nomination. Caleb. Yeah. Uh, I was. I was not overwhelmed. I was not underwhelmed. I was perfectly whelmed with her performance. However, it's slim pickings here. So I will give it to Streisand for best lead just because. You know, she won. For the, know. This doesn't mean anything, but you know, she did win for the first one, right? I just want to, you know that, right? Okay. okay. <laughs> Listen, I'm not picking this because it's the best option. I am picking it because it's the best option, but I'm picking it. You know what? I'm going to Omar Sharif for a supporting actor. An Listen, actor who was never nominated. I am attracted Oscars. to him. That doesn't mean he deserves an award for showing up for two scenes. He needs a makeup nom for Lawrence of Arabia. I'm going to look up to make sure I'm not talking out of my ass. I think you're oh, wrong. Oh, he was you're, nominated you're for Lawrence totally Arabia. I am talking, I'm totally talking about my ass. He was nominated for Lawrence of Arabia. Um, this is probably the hardest one we've ever done. Uh... <laughs> I think this is by far the easiest one we've ever done, but whatever. Go on. Uh, I'm going to say... I'm going to say James Caan. I'm sorry. I just... <laughs> I like I like him as an actor. I just... he He's fine. I liked when he was on screen. He is a good actor. <laughs> I'm going to say for lead actor, to be clear. That's fair. All right, I'm going to tell you mine, but I'm going to reread out the nominations it has, and then I'm going to say it. This was nominated for Best Cinematography, Best Coffin Design, Best Adapted Score, Best Original Song, and Best Sound. It was not somehow nominated for Best Art Direction, Best Production Design. I'm going to nominate this for Best Production Design. I think that is this is one of the easiest picks I've had in my life on this show. And it's not even, even I hated the movie. If I was with you guys on this movie singing, it was like, I didn't have fun with it. I would have still easily picked production design. The production design here is so intricate and cool. So production design. Yeah, I'm shocked that both of you didn't go for it. Tessa, what about you? Hmm. You know, I'll I'll give mine to Omar Sharif for best supporting because Okay. That's fine. Honestly, he's, I'm not gonna get mad at you for Omar Sharif. Yeah, no. Every yeah, everything else that could have been said about anything else has already been said. And the fact that he could talk about seven toothbrushes and make it at all dramatic and hot. Yeah, that that deserves a nomination. All right. So that is funny. Lady. Um, do you guys want to know what we're doing next time? Please tell us. Well. Let me tell you, William Wyler who directed Funny Girl, Funny Coincidence, not, not actually intentionally in me bringing it up, is the king of the snub club. Um, but then there are two princes of the snub club. And I say king of the snub club because he has five snub club movies total. Then there are two princes of the snub club, both with four movies total directed. And we are going to start with we, one of the princes we haven't got to yet. These are two of the most prolific filmmakers in modern American movie history. And weirdly enough, because this episode comes out three days, four days after his most recent film, we're going to be talking about, drumroll please, although I feel like that reveals it, Martin Scorsese and Taxi Driver. 
as I said, Martin Scorsese has four films total in the snub club. And we're going to start with Taxi Driver, which obviously is a very big movie. I'm willing to bet this is something I've noticed, like our American Graffiti episode over-indexed. I'm willing to bet this maybe the Taxi Driver episode will over-indexed too. Knock on wood. Just kidding. We're going to have like three listeners for it. Um, but yeah, we're going to talk about Taxi Driver next time. Um, yeah. Uh, gonna we're going to save cinema. <laughs> hey. You're going to take a Mar- I, I support and Marty poke a mohawk through it. That's all I know about yeah. that movie. Should we all do our impressions of Dave Franco's impression of... of uh, That's, he's like, that scene is like five minutes of Dave Franco in the background just like... Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what we're talking about. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. The Zac Efron movie Neighbors... In Neighbors, there's a scene where they have a De Niro party and everyone's just like barely doing it. Then Dave Franco's just in the background, <laughs> He's in the background doing like the so long. ever. He's like, like everyone else is like barely trying, and then Dave Franco's like completely committing to the bit. <laughs> Caleb is doing the taxi driver face right now. Is he not? <laughs> Who has a De Niro well, yeah. party? It's in the movie Neighbors. They do it like as a silly like frat party. And, like everyone comes dressed as what their favorite hero character. <laughs> okay, what actor? What actor would y'all do a party of? Adam Driver. Jake Gyllenhaal. Ooh, that'd be a good. One. Jake Gyllenhaal would be fun. I immediately had a thought, but it's so predictable of me. We could also do a Ben Platt party. We just That's all fine. come dressed like old men. We all just you. run away from each other. We all run away from each other, dressed like old men. Like wearing like a crop top while being dressed like an old man. These listeners haven't haven't gotten to know you, Tessa. You should say the predictable answer. Yeah, it's Angela true. Lansbury. <laughs> yep. <laughs> nice. I'm gonna uh, come dressed as the Zoom window from Cuts. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say Daniel Craig, but he doesn't have enough roles because everyone would just show up as. He has two good roles. Yeah, well, everyone would show up. Like boring people would show up as James Bond. Everyone else would show up as Benoit Blanc, and I would show up as the guy from Logan Lucky. I would want to come. That's Joe Bang. Give I know you know his name. Joe, like, Joe Bang. Give him some someone respect. would come dressed uh, as whatever his name was in Tomb Raider. I was thinking Road to Perdition. He actually plays a really good character in Road to Perdition. I would try to do or, or Munich. Oh, I do like that. Actually, Brendan Fraser is my answer. Ooh, Ooh. yeah. I, I I did a lot of research on that earlier this year. Um, so the party just gonna have like pizza that you have to eat off the, the floor. <laughs> you just have pizza on the floor. <laughs> it's like eating filthy animals. Stop. <laughs> you say that to everyone who watches. We're on Zoom, but we're off cam. <laughs> and I'll walk into Daniel Lansbury on Zoom. We're confused. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm David Vincent. Oh, wait, Tessa. You should yes. uh, you should outro yourself first before we do ours. Like it was great to have you on, obviously. Very fun <laughs> guest. Glad you could bring some liveliness to this party because the movie <laughs> This would have been a lives. terrible episode. <laughs> I wish we could have had you on for a good a, a good Still was movie. better than Star, I think. It was okay, yes, but she also had to watch Star. They've yeah, suffered I, I only watched twice. the first half of Star before it made me ill, don't worry. Tessa, if we ever have a return guest, I have an idea for you. If you ever want to come back, 
have an idea for you, but it would be a very, very long time from now. So if if it's but. the movie that came out uh, in 2004, if that's what I think it is, I do remember seeing that in theaters as a child. It is not. I can message you it after because, again, we have a rule that Kayla does not allow to know the movies. So. Hell yeah. Well, yeah. yes, I would love to come on for a movie that doesn't uh, cause me pain. Well, this one might cause you pain, but I think it might cause you pain, but yeah. But yeah, this was fun. Um, If for some reason people want to find me, the best place to go is the YouTube, where I semi-recently mostly completed Vlog Every Day in September with Caleb. Uh, That is just my name, Tessa Wittenhofer. I, I said that as if it was going to be a longer sentence than it was, and it just was not. <laughs> it's okay. I'm Danny Vincent. You can follow me on Letterboxd at Blankments. You can listen to my other show, Looking for the Ocean, a Pixar journey. We talk about every Pixar thing ever made. And let me tell you, we are back from hiatus. Very exciting. Listen. Sarah's going to come on. Actually, I believe this... When does this episode come out? Uh, Sarah's going to be on, yeah, Sarah's going to be on this Friday to talk about our annual Femtober episode. So hopefully annual. We're going to keep, it's only our second one, but yeah, we, we enjoyed it last year. So yeah. Um, that's my favorite episode of Looking for the Ocean, so I'm excited. Oh yeah, it's my turn. Hey guys, I'm Caleb. You can find me at Caleb from the Real World on Instagram and uh, YouTube. And from there, you can find my litany of other podcasts, Hot Trash Unlimited, All New 52, which I do with our editor Joe, and Star Wars Therapy. Thanks, Joe, for editing this. Thank you, Joe. Thanks, Joe. Joe, what do you prefer? Funny lady or funny woman? Don't tell me there's a third one. <laughs> I'm writing it right now. <laughs> it's Dear gotta be performed and commissioned to write funny woman <laughs> you can find me on letterbox s-g-k-e-s-s-g-e-e-k-y instagram s-g-k-29 uh i don't know when this oh i guess if i'm on looking for the ocean uh i'm doing yeah come to over 31 horror movies directed by women uh I'm a little behind as a recording this episode, but I will be caught up by the time you listen to it. Uh, that's on uh, Instagram and Tumblr as well. Uh, you can find us, The Snub Club, on Facebook, The Snub Club, Twitter, X, Snub Club Podcast, or Snub Club Pod, and Instagram, Snub Club Podcast. All right. Once again, Tessa, it was fantastic to have you on. Um, yes, thank, thank you for coming, coming on. Yes. And yeah, we, thank you. We will maybe try to have you back for a marginally better film. Uh, <laughs> we'll see. Um, uh, but yeah, we will see all of you here next time when we talk about. Wait, talk about what? You talking to me? You talking to me? You talking to taxi hey, driver? I'm rocking here. Hey, <laughs> hey, pizza. I'm Jody Foster. <laughs> Hey, you telling me you don't like these kinds of movies? Okay, <laughs> all right, we're out. We're out. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye, y'all. <laughs>